you like our owl? How many questions does it usually take to spot? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30, cross-referenced. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shores, burning with the fires of a hawk. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green and Micah Green. Hi, folks. How are you? I'm chilling. How are you? We're good. You're good. I'm good. We're all good. How, How are, are you good? Doing? <laughs> I'm distracted because I'm, I'm pulling up our patrons list. Oh, we got a new patron. We that did. I I'm shocked on the website yet. Yeah, we got, we got him yesterday. We've had no. an upsurge of... Yes, it was last night. I think so. I think it was last night. Today at one thirty-six a.m. Look at that. That's exciting. <laughs> My <Yeah>. last night. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. It's very. And let me let me give him a shout out while okay. we're talking. Hang on. So yeah, I'm gonna get to that patron last, but we're gonna go back to May because you, you haven't gotten enough shout outs yet. Um, going back to May first, we got Will Howe, Ian Aiello, Zan Tuck, Weed, Krista Brown, Damian A. Thorne, Dino, Sean Rosado. HNTRJ, which I think is Hunter, Jordan Hunter, Eel, and Thomas C. Wolf, who is our newest member who just joined. I got to say, the names, the name game of our patrons has really stepped up a notch. We're getting a lot of mononyms now where people are just <laughs> putting themselves in as one word. And I love it. You know, it's got charisma and uh, you all are freaking amazing. So thank you for the support. Seriously, like we had a kind of a dry spell for a little while after the Alien Day stuff, which is understandable. We definitely get it. But um, it, it makes us really reinvigorated to see people signing up and it gives us more energy to put towards all the Patreon content and planning stuff out. And um, if you want to join Patreon, go to uh, bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support or just search up Perfect Organism on Patreon. And we just recently, three days ago, but on an episode about Across the Spider-Verse, which is fucking amazing, obviously. And if you want to hear the three of us, actually, who are doing this episode tonight, talk about that, uh, you know, head over to Patreon and sign up and, and give it a listen because we're doing a lot of cool stuff over there. So thank you, everybody. That was thank a fun so episode. Much. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was great. What a day, dude. You look lonely. I can fix that. You look like a good show. So we are here tonight to discuss, uh, this is kind of back to more of a serious topic. It's something that we've been discussing about having, about hosting an episode on uh, in terms of how women are represented in Blade Runner. It's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit for at least a couple of years. I've had this conversation with Patrick, like we should talk about this. Uh, it's something that's important to me. As we move forward, obviously, we know we have a, a Blade Runner series coming up. Uh, I should note that that series, the start date of shooting, has been pushed possibly to March of 2024, which sucks. Uh, it's not for sure yet, just because of the writer strike and everything happening in um, Hollywood and in streaming verse right now. Um, but that show is going to host what it seems to be women as the main protagonist or protagonists. Um, but stepping back from that, we have two films. Uh, we're not going to talk about Black Lotus, but we have two films. Uh, and they, I believe that they have a very interesting approach to how they present women. And I, I think it's going to be a good topic. And I'll say right off the bat, um, I'm sure we're not going to get any angry messages from anybody about tonight's episode. I'm sure there will be zero controversy or bad reviews on Apple podcasts. Please, if you if you disagree with what we're saying, don't just give us a bad review because of it. Like we definitely want to talk about it. You know, it's, it's a conversation, but just to kind of say out there at the beginning that this is a sensitive topic for a whole, you know, variety of reasons. 
One of them being that the original film especially has been in our lives for an extremely long time, especially for people who grew up with it, people who were there for their premiere, you know, people who have now known this movie for over 40 years. Like this is this is a, an important film in people's history. And as such, people have very distinct feelings associated with it and attached to it. So we are the Blade Runner podcast and we are going to be critical with it sometimes tonight but not out of a spirit of spite, out of a spirit of love, because we fucking adore this movie. Obviously, we adore this movie. So um, just asking for your patience a little bit as we kind of work through some of these things tonight and look for some of the complexities in it, because Blade Runner really demands to be looked at like that. So just uh, bear with us. I think it's important to note that we need to keep ourselves honest, and we need to, I think if we're just spewing out love all the time and we're agreeing all the time with everything, it just gets boring. It gets a little bit tired. I think we should be able to look at something we love honestly and say, hey, even though we love this, even though we believe that these films are masterpieces, are there problems in it? Um, and to that end, I, I would love to open the floor up to Micah first to get your impressions about certainly, obviously, 2019 Blade Runner, the original, and then uh, 2049, and get your impressions of this, and then use your impressions as a springboard to talk, because right now we're not very equal in terms of, the, you know, we have one woman on the show and two men, and we wanted to get maybe someone else on the show, another woman, but it just didn't really happen. But I want to make this, and I know, Patrick, you feel the same way, I want to make this as equitable is that the is that the right term i want to make this as equitable as possible in terms of opinion so i'm going to be aware of how much i talk so this is my show now i'm just kidding just kidding obviously <laughs> um <laughs> so i've said before on this show way back when i first saw 2019 i had some pretty fundamental issues and i think we all know what scene i'm going to talk about but it's it's the love scene or the love question mark scene between um, Deckard and Rachel in 2019. That is a tough scene to talk about. We've already done podcasts about it. So it definitely colors my thinking of the movies in terms of how women are presented and how women are treated. It's interesting to note that of the women in Blade Runner 2019, there's really three. In 2049, there's about double that. So it seems like they kind of got the memo between the 30 or so years for the between the two films. But let me go back to 2019 and my impressions. When I watch that film, I'm really immersed in the world and it feels authentic and it feels like a real place and it feels gritty. And I'm not ever taken out of it by, say, like the lack of equity or whatever that I'm seeing. It seems to me that mankind has kind of taken a tumble into the worst possible plane of existence and we're kind of reduced as a species to our baser instincts so with that comes stereotypical unfortunately to me i mean obviously unfortunately to everyone but unfortunately it feels as if the stereotypes where men are in control and they we've got these replicants that are created for the the enjoyment of men largely it just feels like it's a lot of what's the word i'm looking for uh subjugation of women in that world uh and i was writing down when we were thinking earlier i'm i'm interested to talk about the types of replicants that you can i guess purchase in the world of blade runner the ones that we see mainly are the entertainment ones, which are largely used for sex or at least for companionship. Um, I know that some of them are also used in the military and exploration and stuff. But are there any other replicants that we're aware of that are female that are built? And I, I'm like trying to think of it. And I'm not sure if there's any in the extended universe, but I think it's interesting what jobs are given to the replicants that are female and that leads me to think about Rachel. And that's really interesting because Rachel is her own class. And we've discussed this as well. Rachel is not here for anyone's entertainment. She is special. She's different. She's pushing the boundaries of replicants. And I think it's really interesting that that exists in the world of 2019, where it's a pretty clear picture of um, patriarchy and women being kind of 
at least the replicant women are being basically used for entertainment. So I can pass it off to someone else. I'm sure I'll have more thoughts, but it is, it's really interesting to try to untangle all of the feelings and thoughts and impressions that I get from at least 2019 with you guys. Shakes. Me too. I get them bad. <clears throat> Part of the business. I'm not in the business. business yeah i think there's a lot in there to get started with and i think it's worth remembering that this really was a movie made by men right obviously there are people like katie haber who we love who were involved with it and there there were people like cynthia yorkin and there's been other people who have been associated with this film and with its production history and uh, and also in saying that i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm not saying anything other than the fact that it's important to note that you know we have Hampton Fancher, we have David Peoples, we have Ridley Scott, we have Harrison Ford, we have Brooker Howard. The people who really we associate creatively with Blade Runner, Sid Mead, you know, are Jordan Cronin with. They're all they're all men. They're all white men. Um, and again, I'm not saying that that is a bad thing, but I think it's something that's hard to have this conversation without addressing, because not because I think that they were sexist or because they had any bad tendencies or anything, but I think they probably had blind spots to a degree, somewhat. And I think that some of the things like, I don't think that the Deckard Rachel scene was intended to be a rape scene. I, I don't think that, that that they wrote it like that. I don't think that they wanted it to come across like that. But I think because they didn't have necessarily as many voices in the room that were diverse enough to help draw attention to things, maybe that's part of why there are moments like that in the film. Um, and I do think 2049 goes a long way towards addressing that. But But going back to some things that you were talking about, Micah, like, the 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 types of replicant that we see being assigned, you know, outwardly female characteristics. You're right; they're almost exclusively love and pleasure models, right? We have Zora, who had like a combat background, but was also a love model, right? And we have Pris, who clearly can twist somebody's head off with her legs, but is primarily a pleasure model, right? We have. It seems like the female replicants are almost universally used for sex. Um maybe and something else right like maybe like she's you know beautiful but also a member of a murder squad for example but like it seems like the sex is, is a big part of it which i think is in fitting with the story like i'm not saying that that doesn't make sense for the universe that they live in but i do think that it just sort of colors things right i, I think zora is an interesting case study in this because she feels to me the most sort of um I wouldn't say like feminist, but the most uh, like independent or the most non-gender normative of the women in the movie because she is like very assertive and strong and is, you know, willing to do whatever it takes to be free and just and is not, uh, you know, she's not like dependent on another man in the movie for something good to happen to her, which is a, a reductive statement that I'm going to get people angry about. So I'll go back for a moment. But what I mean by that is, you know, Rachel is kind of a damsel in distress-ish figure right and so is pris to a degree right like pris exists largely narratively speaking to motivate batty to chase deckard down like pris is there to kind of move along the subterfuge that sebastian goes through to get batty into the headquarters ultimately and then to get and then she then her death or her termination or retirement fuels the climactic battle of the movie but she doesn't really exist outside of that and we see that of course very much in the novel too I think that the interesting thing with Zora, though, is she kind of exists as like a separate, she's not, she, like, there's no man kind of driving her narrative at all. And I think that's part of why she feels so refreshing to us. And I think that's part of why, like, getting to talk to Joanna Cassidy so many times has been such a treat. Because I feel like in a movie that feels unintentionally like a sausage fest, Zora sticks out to me as as a as a really nice kind of modern character in a movie that lacks some of that. And again, none of this is to take away from the power and the dignity of a character like Rachel or Pris or Zora. But to say that I think 
the voices in the room wrote those characters in a way because of who they were somewhat. And I think that that it's not that it has made it hasn't made the movie less relevant. Obviously, it hasn't made the movie less powerful, but I think it's made it somewhat more aged than it would have otherwise been. Uh, where it plays a little bit more like a film from like the 50s or 60s, for example, like a film noir treatment, not just aesthetically, but also in terms of like, you know, there's a hard boiled detective who's tracking down a case of, you know, that he gets because of a pretty woman kind of a thing. Uh, and then to sort of to go back to 2049 for a minute, you know, the female characters in that are interesting because I think they play with some of our expectations, right? I think part of why Joy is such a beautifully complex character is because we are battling the entire Jamie's Jamie's shaking his fucking head over there. She's amazing. A pure love. Um, but joy, joy is a great character, I think, because she sets us up for all of these expectations. Right. And then she continually is confusing us with what she's doing outwardly and making it kind of harder to track exactly what her motivations are. Right. You have a character like love who feels like Rachel, if Rachel had been, more powerful in that universe and and maybe had very different motives. I guess she doesn't really feel like Rachel at all, but she kind of looks like Rachel and fulfills this, a similar role, but in a very different way. And then, you know, you have somebody like Mariette who not only has agency, but is kind of cunning. She has, she's actually like working in secret, which is really cool. She's kind of a double agent figure. And of course you have Frieza who similarly, like she's leading a resistance movement. So the women that are in 2049 have a lot more to do, I think, in and of themselves. And I think that's part of why it plays like it's more, you know, contemporary in that regard. But just to kind of go back for a moment to 2019 and then I'll hand it off again. I think that the treatment of women in 2019 isn't problematic, in my opinion. I wouldn't say it's like problematic, but I would say it's interesting to note as a product of its time and who made it. And I think that's kind of where I'm coming from on this conversation tonight. I think both of you hit on really great points. And uh, as I approach this discussion, I think of 2019 and much of what you said, Patrick, I agree with. It is definitely a film of its time. It's made by people of its time, mostly white men. And uh, again, I don't, there's nothing inherently wrong with white men or men or whatever. I, I, I want our listeners to understand that this isn't, this episode is not an indictment on white men. However, I think as we evolve as a species, as we evolve as creative people, certainly the people in Hollywood, there's been a, a turning of the tide, a shifting of the tide, where people who weren't represented well, like people of color, like women, um, have now gotten to a place where they are being represented so much better and they're demanding representation. And I think with the shifting of our lenses and the shifting of how people are represented and not just represented by the white men or whoever are, that are writing them, they're being represented by themselves. They're being a lot of times, uh, even, you know, back in the day, you might have a black comedy written by white people, you know, or you have, or whatever, you know, you name it. That's kind of what is, is happening at the time. So I think who is being represented is changing. Women are in a place now where they're not just, having better representation on screen, they're being written by women who know what representation is. They're being directed by women uh, who know rep what representation is. Even so far as you have people like um, Alex Garland who wrote Men, which we have discussed, brought in, what's the actor's name? What's her name? I can't remember the lead in Men. Buckley, Jesse Buckley. Jesse Buckley, yes. He brought her in to go over the script to make sure that it was unique. I think that that's important. And I think no matter what side you're on, even though I hate the idea of sides, no matter what background you come from, it makes sense to me that if you're going to tell a story, you're going to want to represent the people in that story correctly. So what does that mean? That means doing your homework. That means, and even it's kind of funny to say, but it's true with alien transmission. When I was writing that I asked Micah right away, what does she think of, of the words? I asked Andy what she thought, because I wrote ostensibly, I mean, I, I wrote a, a central female character, and I'm not obviously female. So it's important to me that the voice that an actor uses, they feel like it's an authentic, it's authentic to them, not so much that, yes, I am this character, but yes, this is what 
a, a person who is a female might say in this situation. I think that's important. So I say all that to get back to Blade Runner. And I look at the first Blade Runner film and of the characters, of the three characters, you two of them are shot in the back by Deckard. And then one of them is essentially emotionally killed by him in, in her own way. Like Rachel is stripped of everything by Deckard. He's doing the same thing he's done to Zora and he's done to Pris in an emotional way to to Rachel. And then there's this trope of, and you've seen it in films of the 80s and the early 90s, maybe even the early aughts, where women are kind of roughed up and then they're like, oh, let's go make love. You know, you see that in with Rachel a little bit, that same kind of trope where Rachel's roughed up a little bit by Deckard and then all of a sudden they're in love. I don't really know what Deckard's in love with in terms of Rachel. I don't know what he sees in her. That that part is never, except for the fact that she's a beautiful woman. I don't know if he falls in love with her melancholy. Maybe he does. But there's something that's bringing them together. Maybe it's because Deckard's a replicant and that's how they're programmed. Who knows? Um, but I can't help but look at Deckard and the way the women are represented in 2019. I, I do think it it's problematic. However, I it doesn't mean that I don't think the final cut is not a masterpiece. I think it's actually uh, great that we're able to see the film for the, what it is as a time capsule for a, a place in history when women weren't written as well, when, when women weren't given as much power. So if you talk about Zora, Zora is powerful. And we had this discussion with Joanna Cassidy at her house. Like there's something about her that's intimidating. And she brought that into her performance of Zora. I also asked in that interview with Joanna, about her appearance on the Johnny Carson show. And I, I noticed right away in her appearance that they seemed intimidated by her, by her stature, by her presence. There's just something intimidating about her. And I love that about her because it, it almost wards off the bad guys, you know, and she brought that into her performance of Zora. However, despite how powerful Zora came off, we saw her strip, even though it wasn't necessarily sexual. We saw her strip like it's almost like they needed to disembody her or they needed to kind of take some of that power away by showing us her breasts, you know, like by having her be vulnerable and to titillate the audience. It seems almost titillating. Excuse the pun. I don't mean that intentionally. Um, and then she shot in the back. So any power she had, any any agency she had was then robbed of her by her being shot in the back. The same with Pris. Um, Chris doesn't come off as powerful as Zora. Chris comes off way more vulnerable and sweet and quiet, probably because she's designed that way as a pleasure model. I think when you have men writing women um, without the input of women, those characters suffer, which is why I'm going to jump to 2099 for a minute. The showrunner behind 2099 is a woman. The protagonists in 2099 are two women. I think Alcon and the people involved in Blade Runner realize we've got we've got to change the narrative here because even if you move to 2049, the women are mostly at odds with each other, except for maybe Mariette and uh, what's her name? The dark haired one. You said her name earlier. Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. They're not really at odds. They talk a little bit, but most of the women in 2049 are at odds with each other. Uh, whether it's love and Joshi or love and um, joy the women really don't necessarily get along. And to me, that's a, a trope that men make when they write women. And they think when they write women that making them oppose each other, making them not be friends, not that all women have to be friends. I'm not saying that either, but pitting women against each other robs them of their power. And it really, really does. But they think that it's good writing. They think they're making them complex. I don't agree with that. I don't think you make women complex by making them not get along with anyone and making them loners. And we see that all over in films like um, uh, Atomic Blonde or The Femme Nikita, or, I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. I mean, an exception would be um, that Ridley Scott film uh, with Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. I can't remember the name right now, um, where they are friends and they forge a friendship kind of- Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise, yeah, in, into their desk. So I think despite the the writing being better for women in 2049, I ultimately don't think it is better for women. Most of the women are killed. Mariette barely has a part in that movie. Um, and she's this pleasure model. She does a little bit of talking, but she's still relegated to pleasure model status. The only kind of 
intriguing character to me is Fraza, where she doesn't seem to be a pleasure model. I don't know what she is, um, of course, but she's also has an eye gouged out. So she's been maimed by the writers. Um, and then you have Rachel, who's been fridged by the writers. So I'm kind of presenting all of this. And I, I think, and I'm not presenting it, I'm not I'm trying not to present it like, oh, fuck, this is just awful, awful, awful. What I'm trying to do is give a different view. And if I were a woman and I, my best friend, Kathy, who you have met, she saw 2049 and she was like, I don't really like how they portrayed women in that film. And I didn't really see that at the moment, at the time. And I see it now. So I'm going to kind of leave it there. Excuse me, Miss Salome. Can I talk to you for a minute? I'm from the American Federation of Variety Artists. Yeah. I'm not here to make you join. No, ma'am. That's not my department. Actually, uh, I'm from the uh, Confidential Committee on Moral Abuses. Committee of Moral Abuses? Yes, ma'am. There's been some reports that the management has been taking liberties with the artists in this place. I don't know nothing about it. Have you felt yourself to be exploited in any way? How do you mean exploited? Well, like to get this job. I mean, did did you do or, or were you asked to do anything that's lewd or unsavory or otherwise uh, repulsive to, to your person? Huh? <laughs> Are you for real? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just before Micah jumps in, something that we wanted to make sure we mentioned tonight, and you kind of had an opening earlier in what you were saying about this, is that uh, Harrison Ford did an interview with, I think, Variety like two weeks ago in, as part of the press junket for Dial of Destiny. And he is asked all these different questions about his characters and his career. And if you go to this interview uh, and go like about five minutes, five and a half minutes into it, he's asked about if Deckard is a replicant. And his response is, yeah, of course he's a replicant. Like, you know, what what, what do you think? I'm an idiot. <laughs> and that's like the end of that. And then they move on. And Jamie and I have been talking quite a bit about this. You know, I, I personally feel like he's just being kind of a dick. Like he's just being kind of sarcastic because he's tired of getting asked that question all the time. His history with Ridley Scott is so well documented on this. It's been such an ongoing, you know, public argument for such a long time that for him to be that flippant and like dismissive and kind of funny about that question to me feels like it's not real that being said um you know since you were mentioning deckard potentially being one earlier you know i mean we now have the guy who was the biggest taking the biggest stand against that being the case at least seriously or not saying publicly that deckard is a replicant which is just adds a different layer of complication to his relationship with rachel to a lot of other things and it also just throws more fuel in the Decorep debate, and it like changes the nature of that conversation quite a bit. So, I, so I'm, I just want to make sure we kind of put that out there because that's a breaking news item, but also because we're kind of dancing around Deckard, especially with Rachel tonight, and that's something to keep in mind. But Micah, go ahead. Let me push back on you a little bit, Patrick. And you you said that you felt like with 2019, you didn't feel like it was especially problematic, and. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to like recontextualize 2019 for today because we've had this discussion like before on our perfect organism podcast in terms of viewing, for instance, viewing Bishop in the eyes of someone who's alive in 2023. And we're going to view droids and AI very, very differently. And I think the same can be said for Blade Runner, where we're viewing a film made in the early 80s in 2023. And how the women's movement uh, has changed, or the feminist movement, which feminism just feminist feminism is only equal rights for women. They just want to be treated equally as men do. That's that's kind of it. Um, is it fair to view to look at 2019 in that lens? Uh, and I think it is fair, and it's not. And in that idea, I'm not trying to say they need to rewrite it, they need to change it, because there's all sorts of conversations happening these days where people are talking about editing books for content, rewriting some chapters in books for content. And I, I don't believe, I don't think that that should ever happen. I think we should have a history of who we are and who we have been to teach us about what we can be, to teach us about decisions we better decisions that we can make. So in that regard, I don't want to change Blade Runner at all, the original. I don't want to change either room. At the same time, I do believe they could have been, the women in the film could have been written better. I agree. That actually brings me back to something that, that I wanted to talk about, which is 
while there are problematic aspects to the writing, um, highlighted more so in 2019 because of the time. And I agree with both of you guys. I think that this movie is incredibly important to us, but it's also incredibly important to sometimes be a little critical of things that can be better. Like you were saying, Jamie, we're supposed to be evolving. We're supposed to be learning and getting better. And, um, I think it's really interesting when you look at the portrayal of women in both films with a critical eye and you kind of point out the things that could be written better, like having more women in the writer's room, perhaps, or on behind the camera and advocating and helping write their voice, the voices of the characters that are female in the movies. I think something that also is really pretty astounding that I wanted to note is that the characters that we that are problematic for the reasons that we've been discussing have somehow like been able to rise above that and touch us in a way that makes us talk about it all these years later even though we have issues with the sexualization of the replicants that we see in both films and the agency being stripped away from them these are all aspects of these characters that kind of paradoxically strengthen them to me a little bit like Zora everything that both of you are talking about about Zora is something that I really feel deeply when I watch the film she is incredibly powerful she's so solid and strong and intimidating and yes they do strip her almost like completely naked for her scene with Deckard but somehow to me she like rises above that and I don't She's one of the very few topless things from that time, topless scenes from that time period where I feel like she somehow retains her strength in that she's in charge of that scene until the very end when it becomes survival. And I think that's really interesting. It's a really fascinating aspect that comes from the actress herself and her um, embodiment of Zora. And I think it's really interesting that both Pris and Zora are these kind of deadly machines that are ultimately killed by a man, the same man. And the tragedy of their their demise is, it doesn't go unnoticed. But I, I think it's really interesting to have that piece live on um, from 2019. And another thing... I thought was really interesting when, as we were talking, um, Patrick, you brought up love um, from 2049. And one thing that I really love, <laughs> pun intended, about her is that for me, when I'm sitting in the theater and watching the film for the first time and seeing love becoming more and more terrifying and more and more of an antagonist to Kay, she kind of takes the stereotypical expectations of what a villain is in a sci-fi movie and what a powerful adversary is and turns it on its head because when you first meet her, she's very actually soft-spoken. She's very submissive. She's very well put together, very pleasing in her affect. But by the end, she's this crazy monster who is winning against Kay for the most part. And I think that is something that's really cool that up until that point in the Blade Runner universe, we hadn't seen. We've seen the pleasure models and we've seen them use their, you know, for lack of better term, womanly wiles to get what they want, like Pris, like Mariette. But we have never seen them just be outright aggressive and um, brutal like love is able to be. And I, I think that's a testament to Sylvia Huck's. Um, for her portrayal of love. And I think it's a testament of the writing. Yes, we still have a long way to go. And I'm I'm looking forward to a team where there's more female voices and advocates on the creative team to see what we get in the new series. But um, it's also nice that we have these characters that are so close to our hearts, um, even in light of what we might say is problematic in that it's just not as well balanced as far as representation goes. And I want to echo just so that I, I don't get hated on. I totally agree with what Jamie and Patrick are saying that this is not at all to attempt to change 
the momentous film that is 2019 and to change anything about it, I wouldn't have it made a different way. But it is good to talk about these things so that we can learn from them. And as a woman, as a person who has been an actress, it is very refreshing. It's very invigorating and it's very um, joy inducing, also pun intended, when women in films are written not only by women, but without that sort of, I'm I'm struggling to say what I really want to say, but without it being about them being women. Like I want to, I like, you can tell when it's, it's not written by a woman. And I'm appreciating that these days we're getting more and more um, collaborators. Like you, Jamie said that you had, you had my opinions for your script, you had Andy's and you s- sought out opinions that always helps. And you can tell in the writing. So I think it's really important that we look at films where, I mean, in some lights, Rachel can be a means to an end. Like, what is she to Deckard? I like that you brought that up. But she is so much more than that because of her emotional gravitas that she gives us. And that is a lot of Sean Young's performance. It's a lot of the character. It's a lot of the relationships and the way that the film was created. So there's a lot of films out there where women are means to an end. And I really, really love seeing that change. So we need more of that. Yeah, I I 100% agree with what's being said tonight. And to reinforce something that has been said multiple times, none of us are suggesting that the movie should be altered whatsoever. And I think to do that would be to destroy the film. So like, if you look at our reviews, and I don't want to bring this up again, if, if you look at our reviews on Apple Podcasts, for example, it's everything's five stars, except for a handful of people who complain about social justice things. And I'm always mystified by that because we don't talk about it very much at all. Tonight is a rare opportunity to do that. And if you look at our episodes, we have planned around it by having a whole series of things where we didn't talk about anything relating to our actual world at all. That's part of why we've been doing so many anatomy of a scenes. And it's to get us to a point where we feel like people who might jump on the woke train will not do that and give us bad reviews so that we have the opportunity to to talk about it because we do feel like it's important to occasionally go there. And I, I want to go to the, the word woke for a second and just complain about it because what I feel like it does when that word gets thrown around is it really, uh, it devalues honest conversation and it shuts down nuance and it makes it all about this like us versus them bullshit reductive stuff. So please just don't give us any reviews like that. Like don't don't try to like steamroll this conversation. Just don't listen to the episode if you don't want to talk. Because I'm getting frustrated because I'm finding myself hedging my language quite a bit tonight because I'm like anticipating getting bad reviews from people for talking about it. And, and it's frustrating because like if you have any question for the love that we have for these fucking movies, like turn this podcast off and go do something else with your life. Because we have been sitting here for hundreds of episodes talking about these films. We have organized live events. We have met many of the original people involved with it. These things, we have fucking tattoos from these movies. Like they run through our blood, literally sometimes uh, if the tattoo gets infected. And the reason why I'm saying that is to say like, allow us to talk honestly about this shit and don't, reduce it by just calling it a woke conversation, okay? As a historical document, the original Blade Runner is, and I'm going to agree with Jamie, problematic, right? There are actual issues with the way that women are portrayed in that movie. It doesn't make the movie bad. Obviously, it's a fucking masterpiece, but it is something that needs to be talked about. And to me, the movie is worse because of the interaction between Rachel and Deckard, especially coming on the heels of what Jamie said, which is basically he had, he had murdered her emotionally right so she was like beyond vulnerable and beyond uh, anything and he really took advantage of that and th- and that's something that like you can't watch that scene and not take that away if you're somebody who saw it when the movie first came out and you didn't see it that way then i understand that but looking at it now knowing what we do know about victimization and etc and how that works like it's a really really problematic sequence and it's a sequence that i cringe every fucking time we see that and every time i hear the saxophone team come on 
And I think like, oh man, the scene is still still in this movie. <laughs> like it's something that I just have to kind of sit through every time. And it's unfortunate because the rest of the film isn't like that. But I'm going to go ahead and kind of continue on my little cranky train for a moment and, and go to 2049 for a minute and, and reinforce some things that Jamie was pointing out, which is that like on its face, it's a more diverse and open film in terms of gender equity, right? But the ways in which women are portrayed to me, it still like leaves a lot to be desired. I'll get to why in a second, but before I do, I have to say a nice counterpoint to this so far, in addition to the 2099 stuff and what we hope that looks like when it comes out in 35 years, is the comics from Titan, which have been universally fucking amazing, and the main character through the three big story arcs so far that have formed the main buttress of the whole story has been this detective Ash Ashina who's a wonderful character who is female and very atypical in many different ways and actually has many different intersectionalities of diversity outside of just her gender that make her, I think, much more interesting. She's a character who feels really refreshing to me. And so even though she is a Blade Runner and even though she hits some story beats that we've seen before, like the story feels very different because of her unique perspective. And I really mean unique. She's not like just Deckard, but like a chick. You know, she's like a, a totally different woman with a totally different life experience. And 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 it's and that plays into the way her story unfolds in a really organic way. That's how you write women, right? They're, she's a full person. In 2049, not to say that the women aren't valuable in that, and not to say that many of them aren't some of my favorite characters ever, but many of them are imprisoned, sometimes literally, right? You have this incredible character in Staline, who's is stuck in a bubble, right? <laughs> it's like sort of the um uh oh, who's the the fairy tale with the hair? Fairy tale with the hair. Rapunzel. Rapunzel, yeah. She's oh. like the she's like, you know, Rapunzel in the tower the whole for. time, right? She's thank you, Micah. She's like, you know, stuck in this I- I- impenetrable thing, right? Um, you have Joy, who we meet her is just tethered as like a, a you know, basically a, a virtual sex object who has become much more than that, but really evolved out of that use case and for some people like jamie never evolved past it who knows but you know there's definite clues that she might not have in the film um you have love who's just basically a killing machine and you have joshi who's this you know like inebriated miserable police lieutenant who hates her life and is really imprisoned for all you know intents and purposes throughout the whole film in her office we we never really see her leaving that the immediate area of the lapd headquarters we never see her on the street even it's like she's entombed in this tower herself right so almost all of the characters in this thing especially the female characters really are kind of stuck and that i it's it's not like that's an issue but it's worth pointing out because I think that it makes it feel a little bit less like they have actual agency and more that they really exist to kind of move the narrative along, right? Like Jamie was mentioning with Rachel 2.0, I mean, we have Rachel, right, who gets killed and is absent from the film. And then we have Rachel 2.0 who gets shot again, right, and also killed. Um, and then we have Mariette, who's a prostitute or, a, you know, a, a, a pleasure model. And so so again, like all, all of the women in 2049 – even yeah. that newborn to add to that list. Yeah, there we go. Pretty much immediately killed by a Wallace. Great example, right? And horribly she's naked killed. Too. Yeah. 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 And she's completely vulnerable, naked, and um, not for nothing. He literally is killing her because she cannot reproduce, which is like the most basic um, desire for women to fulfill that role alone. While love watches. While love watches and cries. And and watches her get killed literally by her uterus. He slices open her stomach. Like it's 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 very the imagery is very it's not it's not unclear there, right? And it's clear that it's being that it's not being condoned by the filmmakers. Like it, it's clearly an act of evil and it's supposed to be scary. But it's in the context of a movie where like that happens to a lot of female characters in this movie. A lot of them get killed, right? Love dies. Like a lot of a lot of them are killed. And I guess what I'm trying to say by that is uh, it's interesting. It's it's a it's a choice and it's a vibe and it's a landscape. I don't know how much of that is in response to 2019 in terms of continuity, because like 2019 sets up an extremely patriarchal world set, right? Where things are real. And by patriarchy, I don't mean, and again, give us a fucking one-star review for using quote unquote woke terms. I don't give a shit. 
But patriarchy doesn't just mean like a system set up to benefit men, right? It also extends to other things that are kind of anti-feminist. So it extends to things like capitalism, right? Which we associate with with patriarchal economic norms, for example. The world of Blade Runner is the world of a, a, basically a mega corporation that exerts unlimited influence over the the world, right? That's a very patriarchal concept. And so that's why, you know, we have rich men. We have Eldon Tyrell, for example, right? Who's this, you know, God King, similar to Wallace in, in 2049. And under them are women, right? Who work for them. Like their first lieutenant, their first line of command is is like a woman who does whatever they want. Again, it's just it's just a thing. I don't I don't know. It, it's it's a resonance between the two movies. And it doesn't devalue the two movies, but it sets a tone for the two movies that is interesting. And I think what's nice about 2049 is it does feel like it goes through whole big stretches of time where it supersedes that, you know? And uh, I think part of why I love Joy so much is because there are big stretches of the movie where like her search for independence really speaks to me in a beautiful way. And like the and it feels like she is kind of breaking out of the expectations left for women via 2019 in a kind of organic way. But it's there and it's something that it's hard to miss, you know? And last thing I'll say quick is the use of nudity, right? Like that's that's the thing too, right? We were talking about in uh, in 2019 how we see Zora naked. And I have to say as a straight man and as a straight boy, when I watched the movie for the first time, I obviously registered that she's beautiful, but it, didn't, it has never felt sexualized to me, which is interesting to the point where I even have like a poster printed out that she signed <laughs> of that where she's completely naked except for the pasties you know in her in her underwear i almost said panties but i know that's jamie's least favorite word in the english language um and like i had that out on our wall for forever and finally probably somebody was probably my mother-in-law was like why do you have a naked lady on the wall and i, I was like oh yeah i guess it is kind of like a strange thing to have out if you don't know what it's from i i it didn't even register to me as being sexualized. And I think that is Joanna Cassidy. I think, especially knowing her pretty well now and having, you know, hung out with her in person a few times, like the vibe that she gives off is just what Jamie is saying. She is like powerful and like, you don't fuck with her and she's incredible. I mean, she's one of the most amazing people I've ever spoken to in my life, you know? And I think that really shines through. But um, in terms of other, you know, naked things in these films, like it's always women, right? Like we see Joy naked, and not only is she naked, but she's gigantic and threatening and like there's lots of booty shots, you know, and that is deliberately voyeuristic and deliberately supposed to be titillating to borrow the term of the night. But in a way that's supposed to be a commentary on what like this patriarchal world values and looks for, which is using women as commerce and using women as a, as a vehicle, right? So in watching it and being titillated by it, which it's not like I, I find it like hot, this giant purple joy, but I definitely registered that that's like sexualized as opposed to in, when I see Zora, it doesn't really register as particularly sexualized. The treatment of nudity in 2049 is also, it's just, it's just interesting again. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, it's interesting. couple things I want to mention. Um, Joshi is someone who has power. And Love is someone who has power. They're very powerful women in their own right. And what I thought, I, this is something that I've also been thinking about in terms of, uh, this criticism was lodged at the writers behind the Scarlet Witch, where powerful women then become evil. Powerful women then are killed. You can't, for whatever reason, a powerful woman is too much. We can't make her good. So she's got to be evil. So what happens like with the Scarlet Witch, she gets power and she turns into whatever. Like she just goes crazy. She gets, you know, she kills people. She's a murderer, all that kind of thing. And with joy, or I'm sorry, and with love, love is powerful and she ends up being drowned by a man. Um, she was powerful, but she couldn't, like she was also the antagonist for sure, but housed in a, in a beautiful but powerful woman's experience at least as it relates to a replicant. And then I think Zora was definitely powerful, but then she was killed. Um, Joshi, you know, Joshi was then killed as a powerful woman by another powerful woman, Love. And it's an amazing scene. I actually love that that 
dialogue between them. But at the end of it, you have these two powerful women going at it because they can't be anything more. They have to both die. You can't have two powerful women. They have to both die. And Staline seems kind of powerful to me in a different way. Of course, she's uh, contracted by Wallace to make memories, but she's imprisoned as a consequence. I mean, I'm not saying it's as a consequence of Wallace, you know, like that's her consequence as a character. She's imprisoned. And Joy is what whatever she is, she's imprisoned. Um, the only people who aren't imprisoned are Fraser and Mariette. And they're they're almost nothing characters, honestly. Mariette's interesting, but Mariette has nothing going on for her. We don't know anything about Mariette. She's this interesting Pris-like character who visually represents Pris a little bit. She's also a pleasure model, and she's used as a device in the script to kind of move things along a little bit. But there's not much to her. I don't, I don't know what you guys think, but um, I, I can't, I can't get away from the idea that even today, um, r- women who are written as powerful—not all of them, not all of these characters—but a lot of them are then killed or killed off or they're killing each other, or I think of Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which was, you know, I think it was released in 2020. Um, And you have Kristen Wiig's character who becomes Cheetah, and she starts off as this kind of nerdy, fumbly, not well-spoken woman, and then she gets, she makes a wish, and some of her dreams start to come through come true and she gets more beautiful and she finds her agency and she finds power. She finds her own power. And then what happens? Then she starts beating up and killing homeless people. Like what the fuck? Like, so you can't have a powerful woman. And then wonder woman who is a powerful woman is then hung up on this man who died 70 years before. Now, oddly enough in that situation, that script was written by a woman. Um, and I don't know how much she was influenced. I don't know who was writing it before, but I think you eat what you have in that situation is the patriarchy in full bloom where sometimes people operate like Micah you, with you apologizing. Sometimes that's built into our narrative, our own private narrative. Like, Oh, we have to apologize. Oh, I said too much. Why do we feel that way? Why do we feel that way as people? Uh, why do women feel that way? Um, because they're made to feel that way. They're trained to be that way. They're trained to not speak up. Don't be too demanding. Don't be, be pretty. Always be smiling. Why aren't you smiling? You know, why are you angry? You know, you can never win. And so I think these characters that we see in Blade Runner and moving to Blade Runner 2049, I think are characters who can't win. There are characters who are kind of written into a written into to the wall um, where, yeah, we're going to make them interesting. We're going to make them powerful, but we're going to kill them too. And to your point, Patrick, that you, you, you made earlier in terms of them killing off Rachel 2.0. So it's, it, it was bad enough. I, 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 I'm not trying to, I don't want to use, I'm not saying it's bad enough. Like I, I love 2049 and I feel like I have to continue to defend my love for this film as we talk about it. But Rachel was fridged. I think that that was a mistake. They fridged her because for whatever reason, maybe it was Sean Young. They didn't want to deal with, I don't know. They felt like they could tell a better story. These men who wrote the story felt like they could tell a better story by killing off the most important woman of 2019. Um, and then what do they do? They bring her back. And then what do they do again? She's shot in the head by another woman, loved and kills another woman. Um, and fr- like, it's just really interesting and really on its face. It's really egregious. I'm pulling back. I love the film. I think it works, but I also understand the course correction here for the comics and for 2099. They can't go down that road again. These characters have to be um, better informed. They have to be better written. They have to have agency beyond the agency that men give them. Because at the end of the day, these characters have the agency that men have given them. And that's a problem. Um, uh, and I, I'm going to kind of course correct myself here again and s- because I'm I'm not nervous about because if people who are going to scream woke, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, we're against so many bad reviews like, tonight. If you're going to if you're going to if you're going to like complain that we're woke or complain that like social justice warrior, like fuck off. Like, I don't I don't want you listening to this show. Um, 
But I'm not saying that because I don't want to hear criticism. We are completely open to criticism. We've heard it. In fact, one of the reasons why we changed courses in terms of anatomy of a scene is because we we thought there was merit to the criticism of us kind of being too heavy for too long, completely. Um, but we should be able to discuss this. And really, a lot of people, the people who criticize the term woke don't even know what it means. They can't explain it to you. I think the term woke means, for me, you are aware of the lives of other people who live differently than you. And you are aware of that in your actions and your speech and the way that you live. That's what woke means. It means that you are aware that people, other people live differently and that other people deserve respect, whether they're people of color, whether they're people in the LGBT, LGBTQ plus uh, arena um, or people from other countries or people from ethnic, different ethnic minorities. You are aware and you're respectful of them in your, how you live your life in every facet. That to me is what woke is. And if that is offensive to you, I don't know what you're going to do because that's where the world's going. Like we are going, we are moving towards a more equitable world and it's a scary thing for people who don't want to move in that direction. And that's what we're, the ugliness we're seeing in this country and probably ostensibly the world right now is because we're moving in that direction. We're because we're moving towards more equity and it terrifies people that a certain group of people aren't as important. They, they don't have as much power. They don't have as much control. And so what do they do? They fight and they throw out terms. Um, they throw out terms almost as um, curse words. Like the word woke is almost a curse word these days. That's how people use it. Like you're woke, like almost like the term Karen, which I love the term Karen. Cause I think there are Karens in this world, but it is an appropriate term. Um, so long diatribe. I, I, I think as, as we continue to talk about this, uh, I, I pull back and I, again, will say, I love these films. I don't want them to change, but I think moving forward, the characterization of women has to change. Did you miss me? Don't you love me? I think it is important to say I mean, you're right, Jamie and Patrick, I do apologize often when I'm on the podcast because I do worry that I talk too much or that I'm starting to sound ill-informed. Um, and I know that that's a product of my upbringing, whether it's intentional or not. I am a woman and I was taught to be pretty, pleasing, small and quiet, you know, um, and that was just honestly what was not outwardly, like I was never told by my parents, like you have to be, I mean, let me take that back. I was told by my parents that I had to act and look a certain way. However, they weren't intending to rob me of agency. My mother wants me to be a strong, independent person. And she always has. I mean, it's very clear the way many of us women and female people in the world, we are very much aware of how we come across at all times, whether that be we just woke up or we've been preparing for a meeting all day or whatnot. There's a lot of self-analyzation going on and there's a lot of self-censorship and there's a lot of not wanting to appear too aggressive, not wanting to appear too angry and not wanting to push back on things. So I do want to say I like you, I do, I have problems with the way women are portrayed in both of the films. And um, I didn't want to go into it too much. And I found myself like really getting defensive, just like you guys, of the films and of the characters and trying to build them up and everything. But it is true. We can look at it with a critical eye and, and demand better from our sci-fi and future futuristic films. Like we can demand better writing we can demand better acting we can demand better casting so that we are more represented and so that we even bring more voices onto the table now like yes i'm the only woman on this podcast right now um and like sci-fi tends to be a more masculine dominated genre in terms of fandom that's a true thing right now but 
that is changing. And I hope it does because some of the best stuff that we see out here is written in sci-fi universes, it's written in post-apocalyptic worlds. And I think it's fascinating. And I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic that more writers with the willingness to be daring to be hopefully your definition, Jamie, of woke, um, where people are aware of differences in, in walks of life. I think we'll just get better and better characters that way. And we'll get more and more complex women, more women written who are actually full people. Like I think you said that Patrick, a full person. You never say that about a man. You never say that, Oh, that, that guy, that character, he was written. He's like, not just a man. He's like a full person. It's, it sucks to me that we have to say that a lot of the times about women and a lot of the times about women in my personal favorite movies. I hate that it's more rare for a woman to be a full person than not. And I hope that that changes. I hope that we get brave enough to do that. I hope that we keep having conversations like this that are a little bit touchy, a little bit um, demanding that we be self-reflective and demanding more of our art because that's what is important it's what it's what we're fighting for the stakes are always going to be high when it comes to this stuff because it's it's what the world sees and it's it's really important to push forward with that you think i'm a replicant don't you look it's me with my mother yeah. Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were going to play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? Huh? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there was a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. I, this is definitely just the tip of this iceberg of a conversation, so we're definitely going to revisit it. And I, I have to say, we will space it out, so we'll do some more episodes that are not about our world and not about gender norms and things for a while. And then we'll come back to it. So we just ask you know, for patience from people in that regard. I also want to say it's worth pointing out that for every one message we receive, that is like negative about us talking about this. We probably get 10 to 15 that say like, like why are you not doing more episodes about real world issues and how they correlate to Blade Runner? So like, I don't want to feel like we're holding ourselves back from having real conversations just for the sake of not pissing off some people who have, you know, um, thinner skin than maybe others do. So I, I think it's worth revisiting this, but we'll give it time and we'll do some other stuff. You know, we're going to be revisiting the 2019 versus 2049 conversation. We're going to be doing some more speculation episodes, but we will come back to it because this conversation is just starting. And just to rewind it, you know, my little closing here, in the wake of 2049 camp coming out, there was like a, a little wave of articles about this point that were being circulated. One of them was in my very favorite magazine of all time, the New York Review of Books, which I've been you know, a regular reader of for a long time. And I couldn't believe that, for one thing, that New York Review of Books had a fucking article about 2049. And I was like, how cool is that? And then I was saddened because like the article was about the problematic portrayal of women in it. And I fought back pretty hard on that for a while. And that article and others like it were shared with me personally. People would send it to me, be like, what do you think of this? You know? And my response was always like, oh, it's just, you know, people are being too sensitive. Like it's, it's actually really good. All these great female characters in it. And, you know, I would show them examples of how like they were wrong and how, you know, women weren't being objectified and, you know, blah, blah. And it wasn't until even in preparing for this episode, I was kind of ready to push back on the idea that women have not been treated well, especially in 2049. Um, but after we've been talking tonight, like I, I finally get it, you know, cause I, it turns out that I have blind spots too, you know, and, uh, and I'm blinded not just by being a guy 
and not just by being straight white and blah, 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 but blinded mostly by my love for these films. That's like, honestly, what my blind spot has been. And it can be hard to be critical of something that you have loved since you were a child. Yeah. I have to say though, in my experience, the things that I'm most passionate about are also the things that I'm most passionately critical of. So I'm kind of happy that I can be in a place like this with Blade Runner now because I feel like it's opening up a new level of admiration for the films for me because it means that I'm engaging with them in a more honest way and I'm not like afraid to challenge the things that I love about them. And I find that when I do that, I end up loving something in a much more deeper and honest way because the reality is, is nothing is perfect. The reality is, is Blade Runner has tons of fucking issues with it. And that's why there's, you know, so many different versions of it. And that's why it's been, you know, rehashed and, and rewritten and removed around. It's, it's, it's not a perfect document, you know, it's just an incredible one. It's not a perfect film, but it's one of the great films ever made. And 2049 stands exactly on that same plane. It is a movie that sure you could change things about it. Um, I wouldn't want anybody to, but I also accept it for what it is as like an amazing piece of art that challenges and confuses and deepens and makes me introspect and extrospect like nothing else does. So in closing, I want to say that I hope as a community, we're at a place now where we can have these kinds of conversations and not try to encamp around them and not try to make them into arguments and to look honestly and to question things that we have maybe had blind spots to ourselves. And in admitting that we have, and in admitting that there might be more problems than we were aware of, it doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. Like it doesn't mean that we should stop loving this thing. It's not like we are all of a sudden bad people for not noticing things. It just means that we're imperfect. And that's kind of what's special about us too. So at the end of the day, like we're not here to get everything right. And we're not here to have a perfect opinion about everything, but we're here to explore together. And we do that as a community. And when we do that as a community, we do it best. So like, I hope we can continue having conversations like this. My final statement uh, for this episode is, well, hopefully I don't regret this, but, or we don't regret this as a show, but what do you guys think? Our listeners, uh, specifically women uh, who listen to the show, and we would love to hear some fair, fair-minded responses to this episode. Um, I have some ideas of people who we might want to ask on the show, like Carla, who listens to the show, to get their perspective. I, I would love to hear primarily from the female listeners what they think of this topic. Is is there credence to it? Is is what we talked about? Uh, is there merit to it? And if there isn't, we'd love to hear it. If there is, what's your perspective on it? Um, again, uh, if we are sent emails that are rude and mean, we're not even going to, we'll just delete them. We'll just, we won't even, you won't even hear from us. Um, but I would love to open up this pseudo forum to our female listeners and revisit this with some of that feedback eventually, maybe a couple months from now or whatever. So thank you everyone for listening. And thank you, Micah, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.